Greetings, friends. My name is Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is after Asia markets close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. Today, we are going to take a look at markets, namely the JGB and the U.S. Treasury markets, and more so their interrelation in price action with one another, as well as with dollar-yen in particular, just to see if the cross-asset market dispersion Versions, if you want to call it that, that we saw last week, that chaos during Bank of Japan's launch of yield curve control, just to see if that chaos is, still exists or if it's so, sort of dissipated and, you know, kind of returned back to normal. And then also, we're going to take a look at what's ahead for this week. And no, it's not just about CPI out of China and the U.S. I'm actually having my eyes fixated on the 30-year JGB auction which comes right before a 30-year U.S. Treasury auction. And I want to see if there's perhaps a sort of competition for Japanese investors' capital between Japan and U.S. governments' respective long-term financing needs, and also taking into account, of course, the Bank of Japan's both scheduled and unscheduled bond-buying activities happening simultaneously. And then lastly, I'm going to offer up another one of my wacky theories to potentially explain what might be might be behind Fitch's downgrading of the United States debt credit. And yes, of course, this has a Bank of Japan angle or Bank of Japan fingerprints on it because it wouldn't be a Western conspiracy theory with without that, okay? All right, so first of all, here's just the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield rising some, what, 30 basis points or so through last week. And then yields make a very sharp drop at the end of the week upon this release of a weaker-than-expected U.S. Non-farm, non-farm payrolls figure, which saw the dollar also fall um, in tandem. And here is the 10-year JGB yield on top of that same 10-year Treasury yield chart. Now, the reason I want to show you this particular chart is because over the past few days, um, in light of my recent episodes of Market Depth on the Bank of Japan policy, I've gotten some disputes and pushback against my explaining of how the Bank of Japan was the primary force behind both the direction and the velocity of the move higher in U.S. Treasury yields through much of the of the week via its activity in the JGB market. And those who are arguing that U.S. Treasuries are most certainly not, nor could they ever be driven by some JGB market, they point to here saying, look, it's very obvious and visibly evident that it's the U.S. Treasury yield that's driving and leading the way for the JGB yield. That's a step behind. Okay. I really don't have the time nor the patience to reiterate my previous two and a half hours of content on the matter. So, in like 90 seconds or whatever, okay? First of all, what in the hell do you think moved the global markets across as a classes suddenly at 101 p.m. Eastern in the first place in that move upwards. That would be the Nikkei News pre-announcement article of the Bank of Japan to move yield curve control bands wider that came out about 10 hours prior to the Bank of Japan's official policy announcement announcing just that. Okay? So, first of all, there's that. The reason for the move itself. Now, let me re 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 explain or re emphasize this concept of time or time zones and like trading hours. 
1.01 p.m. Eastern is 2.01 a.m. Japan time. That means that Japanese investors are not very active at that time. And I don't mean just because Japanese investors aren't awake in order to be active at that time. I mean that even if they were, there is no cash JGB market that is open for trading in which to be active in that time. So, JGB futures chart, okay? JGB futures do trade overnight in Japan time, i.e. they trade during U.S. trading hours as well. This right here, this is when the Nikkei Policy Leak article comes out, 2 a.m. Japan time. And that's the initial U.S. Treasury yield spike trigger higher, okay? This is 8.45 a.m. That's JGB Futures AM market open. That's the first chance for the Japan-based or Asia-based reaction. And that is why you have this so-called, quote, delay on a JGB yield chart because that's JGB cash yields upon JGB AM session open. And that is the next several days in which JGB activity maintains and moves JGB and U.S. Treasury prices downwards or yields upwards throughout the week. And those downward movements are by and large taking place during the Japan trading session. Now, as long as Japan markets are open and not on holiday, then U.S. Treasuries trade basically almost all hours of the day, even in the middle of the night for the U.S., which is the middle of the day for Japan. However, cash JGB markets, they do not trade 24 hours a day like U.S. Treasuries do. JGBs have, cash JGB markets have trading hours during Japan business hours. That's why you get very non-smooth, messed-up-looking, stair-step-looking charts like this if you're zooming in more than, you know, one-day intervals and you're using a line chart. Um, and if I use a bar chart, by the way, it's going to be, basically be invisible. That's why I'm using a line chart. So that is why I use, I use personally, I use futures to look at price market price action because futures markets do actually trade day and night alongside other futures markets, such as this. This is JGB futures versus U.S. Treasury futures. This way you can get a very accurate and smooth comparison of market price action as, lo- as well as volume as well, okay? And look, the reason I just re- re-explained this, it's not for the pushback arguers. It's actually to f- just further clarify and re-emphasize to anyone out there. This is the very point of me highlighting this whole time of day factor. Like when mar- what markets are and aren't open. What markets will be reacting um, at its respective open when that, whenever that is. Um, and then also, what time are there specific procedures to be cognizant of? Like say, B- Bank of Japan... JGB buying ops scheduled at 10.10 10 a.m. Japan time. Or, in other words, a potentially sharp directional movement happening in the U.S. Treasury market at 10.10 10 a.m. Japan time. Or 9.10 p.m. Eastern, U.S. Eastern time to occur. Okay? So, off of Friday's, you know, minus 15 basis point U.S. non-farm payroll move, that had reversed nearly half of the week's upside in U.S. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields within, you know, the a.m. hours of the Friday U.S. trading session, which is after Japan cash JGB hours had closed for the weekend, but JGB futures were open and, you know, followed the, the global rates complex higher. So after that, we saw 
cash JGBs yields lower at Monday AM market open, catching up with the U.S. and JGB futures move from Friday after hours. And then if we take these two yields and we just see what the difference is or the spread is in between, this is the 10-year U.S. to Japan nominal yield spread versus just USD's JPY, dollar-yen, um, spot dollar-yen. Now, recall me saying last week that the yen was just completely lost in trading price and you know price action due to a whole host of issues. But at the end of the end of the day, it's just you know broad uncertainty. Whether it's that means market uncertainty in the form of elevated implied and realized volatility, or policy uncertainty being expressed, or policy uncertainties that are in opposition to one another i.e. those who don't know that they don't know that they don't know. And so the yen had completely detached from simple things like yield spreads, uh, you know, starting especially at the beginning of the week um, when this whole new experiment was was first being rolled out, okay? But towards the end of the week, especially at that NFP, the non-farm payroll print, we saw yield spreads collapse and dollar-yen fall alongside in tandem. So perhaps... We might be getting, you know, heading back to the days of when the yen is making sense again, rather than being the, you know, chief Bromden of the major currencies since the July BOJ meeting day. Um, perhaps we might even be able to get the yen or yen futures to once again be a gauge of or a way to bet on the relative policy trade, right? If it recorrelates to sulfur futures or other short-term rate listed derivatives okay like these are basically instruments you, that you use to bet on like where fed funds are going to be and when and at what level and and so on and so forth it was very highly correlated with the short yen trade um for hawkish fed okay again just leaving aside comparing u.s treasury yields versus spot dollar yen and instead just looking at and comparing the respective futures markets 10-year U.S. Treasury futures versus yen futures. The price action picture actually isn't as disjointed um, from this, if you if you look at it from the futures angle, from the futures, you know, uh, listed derivatives angle, okay? Um, again, same thing here. This is dollar-yen to, you know, the, the U.S.-Japan nominal yield differentials, right? Let's leave that aside for now instead. Let's look instead at this, right? The... JGB to U.S. Treasury futures ratio, okay, which is basically the like the futures structured equivalent of, you know, the relative price action between ten-year U.S. Treasury and JGB yield spreads, um, and the match and match that versus versus dollar yen. And as you can see, you know, for the month of July, these these two had recorrelated pretty well in both directions throughout July. The you know the down then the up. But then from the point, at, you know, at the very end of July, after the Bank of Japan policy meeting, it's just been a mess. But if you just zoom in over the past, you know, two, three trading days, it seems like they're actually starting to regroup from at least the futures angle. Okay, so again, given that especially the JGB cash market, but because the JGB markets themselves are so messed up in just pricing alone, um it is actually probably much easier and or much more accurate to look at futures if they're available on these government bond instruments. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields, 10-year JGB yields, 
so on and so forth, right? Um, because those are more reflections of actual market participants than they are of some QE mechanism that's underway and having multiple different prices on the same you know tenor instrument like JGBs. Just to follow up with my short-term yen strength call from last week based on just ignoring spot dollar yen altogether and just instead just simply looking at yen futures and options on yen futures. So yen futures bounces off of that very, very stubborn seven support level, right? And then as I mentioned, you know, Friday was last trade date for monthly options on yen futures, which prior to had been ramping up in activity and open interest and then um, Friday last trade date market close about half of options open interest just vanished and pretty much just you know like evenly split between puts and calls so we may be getting some orderly yen back and by orderly I don't mean like a lower you know realized volatility or like one particular directional move or another I mean orderly as in like JPY price action is actually moving to something with other green and red blinking tickers exhibiting price action behavior in tandem rather than it's like decisive aimlessness. All right. So week ahead. Um, yes. Eyes on us CPI and, and China CPI. But as I said, what I'm really interested in seeing is what the bond auctions look like, especially relative to one another in the U S and Japan. Okay. Especially in this given setup, um, how, you know, new issuance supply is being received in U.S. Treasuries and in JGBs, respectively, as well as, on the other hand, how existing JGB supply is being removed by the Bank of Japan via their JGB buying ops. Okay, so here's the schedule. So Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Japan time, the Ministry of Finance will open a 30-year JGB auction to auction off about 900 billion yen worth of issuance, or 6.3 billion USD approximately and then 12 35 p.m later that same day tuesday that's when auction results are announced here's why those results of the 30-year jgb auction will be potentially interesting thereafter okay from starting from the very next day from wednesday onwards okay because wednesday will be a very interesting day because first of all we have a scheduled jgb competitive rate buying up from the Bank of Japan to basically sweep across most of, you know, the JGB curve from like the one year tenor all the way up to 25 year JGBs. Now, remember, I just said that, you know, the previous day, Tuesday, Japan Ministry of Finance will auction off 900 billion yen worth of 30 year JGBs. And the very next day, the BOJ will be offering to buy 100 to 500 billion in long term JGBs, 10, 10 year to 25 year tenor. Okay, as per schedule, but it's not scheduled to buy JGBs of more than 25 year maturities for that day, as they had already done so on August 2nd. Now, this non overlap, like that's consciously being done as a rule in place. However, as I spent much of the last time discussing, obviously, this schedule is not only subject to change, but it's expected to. And so at any point, there can be an unscheduled JGB operation. Just assume that any time really is like open season for JGB buying. And so therefore there's no such thing as unscheduled anymore. Unscheduled can also simply just mean buying JGBs that aren't listed alongside scheduled day of, you know, JGB buying. Okay. 
So it would be very interesting to see if, for whatever reason, there is a very weak 30-year JGB auction and the long end of the JGB curve surges. And, you know, it would be interesting to see what the BOJ does or doesn't do um, in response, okay? So that's, the Wednesday, that's Wednesday during the Japan trading session. And then Wednesday in the U.S. trading session later that day, we have $38 billion worth of 10-year U.S. treasuries. That will be auctioned. And then more interestingly, on the following day, we have 23 billion of 30-year U.S. Treasuries being auctioned off, okay? And so the results of these U.S. Treasury auctions, particularly the 30-year auction, they may be, at least in some part, a consequence of the 30-year JGB auction one or two days prior, Okay. If there's very strong demand for 30-year JGBs, then that may be at the expense of a potentially weak 30-year U.S. Treasury auction. And conversely, there may be a very weak 30-year JGB auction and subsequently very strong 30-year U.S. Treasury auction from, from international demand. Um, and there could very well be both no demand for either one and very high demand for both as well. Again, just going back to what I was just saying about the Bank of Japan buying ops at the 30-year tenor, okay? The Bank of Japan open market desk traders, the people that literally work at the Bank of Japan on their trading desk at the Bank of Japan, those people will certainly be watching the United States Treasury auctions, um, and they'll be watching for Japan investor activity and participation, and to what degree and to what level. And then perhaps like how that translates into you know, JGB open market operations thereafter, it could very well be dependent on that, right? And I don't exactly know what would translate into what, you know, if there's strong demand for U.S. treasuries and not strong demand for JGBs, does that mean that the Bank of Japan has to step in in place? Um, does, does any of that matter? And look, obviously... There are far more auction participants than just those who participate in both JGB and U.S. Treasury auctions. So it's impossible to parse who is doing what. But nonetheless, just conceptually, it would be interesting to see this sort of potential competition for you know, Japan investors' capital among U.S. and Japan government bond issuances at the long end. And also, we do have U.S. CPI data to come out that morning of the, th of the 30-year U.S. Treasury auction as well. And so that can obviously impact rates prior to that auction. Also on the calendar for the week are Japan corporate earnings from the likes of SoftBank, Sony, um, Daikin, Toshiba, Honda, Rakuten, NTT, just to name a few. Um, out of China, also Alibaba and Cathay Pacific um, and some more. Here's what might be an interesting earnings risk for Japan equities downside profit taking potentially. Okay, Because basically the setup is with Dollar yen USD JPY JPY right now around what market consensus is acknowledging as the yen's like bottom end of the yen range, right? Or top end of USD JPY range, you know, like mid 140s or so before the Ministry of Finance would step in and intervene. So if this is basically sort of close to the bottom on the yen, um, and if you combine that with Japan earnings releases in tandem, then it can act as a potential pullback catalyst in equity markets because Japan corporates, those that have just, you know, 
reported being huge beneficiaries of a, like a weak yen, they might see profit taking if that's what they convey because what they're saying is, well, this is as good as it gets. We're, you know, currency, we're weak currency dependent on earnings. And like, this is as weak as currency gets. We're unlikely to get yet another minus 9% weakening move further down from the yen from here over the course of the next quarter. All right. So that's why this combination right now might be an interesting setup. Okay. And let me finish up here with another one of my wacky conspiracy theories just to throw out there. Okay. And I really do mean it when I describe it in that manner. Well, it was a wacky conspiracy theory because... Uh, I'm just going to skip over the this is pure speculation part of it and just go straight to ridiculous conspiracy theory, okay? Um, I'll just make it very easy for you. If you want to, like, say that I'm incorrect or whatever, this is going to be incorrect. I, I am a clown, okay? That said, I am going to be tying in what happened in 2022 to the U.S. Treasury market from the Japan blasting its U.S. Treasury holdings at record fire sale pace. Um, you know, I'll be describing that whole part so there is some actual, you know, tangible, measurable value mixed in with my um, wild conspiracy theory. All right, so, shall we? Regarding Fitch's downgrade of the U.S. debt last week, why? So the question isn't really why. We all know why. The United States has too much existing debt outstanding as is, let alone growing and at, a, at higher interest rates. And the United States also has too many existing clowns in elected office outstanding as is, let alone growing and at ever clownier behavior at that. So the why isn't an issue or up for dispute with the whole Fitch ratings downgrade thing. The question is why now, Fitch? Why now? The U.S. government has been a bunch of deadbeat borrowers for even longer than Congress started to normalize this routine of whether or not the U.S. government will pay for things it already spent on. Why now? Like, even when S&P downgraded the U.S. for, like, over a decade ago, even then, that was also a why now and arbitrary. All right? But that is the issue. And that's why Secretary Yellen rightly called it arbitrary and outdated okay not that fitch is necessarily wrong with the assessment itself but it is doing something that's indeed arbitrary in timing okay so look while everyone seems to be kind of criticizing like fitch piling on if not arguing about what level of immaterial you know the fitch downgrade is I'm trying to just figure out why now and what does fitch get out of this okay so that's how I was thinking and in doing that, you know, right when they, you know, released this, about 11 hours after Fitch released the U.S. ratings downgrade, they also happened to release this that seemed to go way under the radar, purposely. Japan, monetary policy tweak, unlikely to raise credit risks sharply. So... This is Fitch basically just, this is not like a, you know, credit reaffirmation or anything like that. This is just making commentary out of the blue on what the Bank of Japan had done days prior 
and their assessment is all is well. All is well with Japan's sovereign credit rating. All is well with, like, all, all is even better with Japan financial institutions um, with the higher yields um, and, and, and all that. They actually, they actually have another completely separate thing about insurance companies and all that, too. Japan insurance companies. Okay, so, Fitch, you downgraded United States credit on growing debt and shrinking fiscal solutions due to political inaction, none of which is new. Then 12 hours later, you maintain Japan at a stable outlook as, quote, Japan's low borrowing costs support its sovereign rating, despite Japan having lifted its borrowing costs and set it on a path higher over longer. And yet the business as usual, United States gets the credit downgrade and Japan gets the neutral to boost commentary. This is from Fitch, quote, it's difficult to imagine a debt crisis in Japan, but its A rating does imply that it is not completely risk-free. That is the Director of Sovereign Ratings for Asia-Pacific Region at Fitch Ratings. If growth and inflation turn return to weak levels, then that would result in the debt ratio trending up, all else equal. It's difficult to imagine a debt crisis in Japan. Well, use your imagination better then. Okay, because your competitor, S&P Global Ratings, warned that if the central bank were to suddenly increase rates or tighten monetary policy, it would untomb a ton of skeletons in the closet, unquote. Skeletons of corporate zombies that have been lurking around in a zero-rate era for decades. Fitch finds that hard to envision or imagine in Japan somehow. If 10-year yields, 10-year JGB yields rise by 1% from base case, Japan's debt servicing payments are expected to increase by 3.6 trillion yen by fiscal year 2026, according to the Ministry of Finance calculations. Japan is expected to expend 22.1% of its national budget for this year on debt servicing costs. One quarter, one-fifth of its national budget currently goes to servicing interest on existing debt. Interest that was, you know, issued on the, like, on floor levels. All right? But financial institutions in Japan are all good until 150 basis points, according to Fitch. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Here's a quote. Here's a quote that I found that finally sounds reasonable. Quote, Japan's public finances have increased in severity to an unprecedented degree. That is Fitch from March of this. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, that was not Fitch. That was a quote from, uh, who was it? Oh, that was Japan Finance Minister Suzuki warning about Japan's fiscal calamity coming out of his own mouth from March of this year. Sorry, it sounded like something that a credit rating agency would say and not like a government admitting about its own finances. So, look, what the hell is going on, Fitch? All right, look, on one hand, for the U.S., we know the why, but not the why now are you doing this, right? And then on the 
other hand, for Japan, we know the why now, as in there was a defined catalyst. There was that Bank of Japan yield curve control move that suddenly and very materially significantly jumped, you know, interest rates higher overnight and then set them on a path for a longer term to rise. So we know the why now. We just don't know the why. Why are you going out of your way to comment on Japan, let alone like positively? What is going on with Fitch? What are they trying to pull? Okay, that's what I want to know. That's what I'm, I'm very curious about this. So I looked into it, here's, and here's what I found. Okay, and by the way, this is all so far, so far, and going forward f- still, these are all just facts. Okay, it's not my wild allegations yet. You'll know it when, they- <laughs> you'll know when it comes. All right. Um, do you know what a samurai bond is? That's a real term. Have you ever, do you know what that is? A samurai bond. No, it's not a bond that should one find yourself, you know, insolvent. You take a sword and you slice open your stomach in honor, lest you face the shame of living through bankruptcy court. It's not what a samurai bond is. Samurai bond is essentially the name given to yen-denominated bonds that are issued in Japan by foreign corporations or foreign entities. It could be governments, too. Okay? And so what that allows for is... Foreign corporates get to borrow at very low Japan rates and thereby tap into the massive Japan fixed income investor base. So they get kind of, you know, investor base diversification, if you will. And then the investor base in Japan, the Japanese investors, they get exposure to a foreign corporate bond without the currency risk, you know, given that these are yen denominated bonds. Obviously, the corporate issuer can take, you know, the proceeds of the, you know, of the bond issuance and then convert it into some other currency for use. But the bondholder doesn't have any foreign exchange risk. It's all in JPY. So here's what's been going on in the world of foreign yen corporate bond issuance or just foreign corporate bonds and foreign bonds in general um, activity out of Japan. When Warren Buffett first started investing in his five Japan trading houses, which are basically just commodity plays, they go up with commodities, commodity prices. So this was back in August of 2020 when he first did this, right? When he acquired those shares in those five companies, those five trading houses, what he did was they issued Berkshire Hathaway yen denominated bonds to finance these equity holdings, okay? And thereby, as I say, what they did in 2020, what Buffett did was he made a brilliant and phenomenal macro trade. He went short bonds and he went long commodities before interest rates and commodity prices skyrocketed. Berkshire Hathaway since then has issued more than a trillion yen in yen denominated debt. But each time that he kept on reissuing these bonds, these yen denominated bonds, they would have higher and higher spreads to have to pay out. In other words, markets were demanding ever higher coupons um, for Berkshire Hathaway to issue due to the prevailing belief that the Bank of Japan would lift rates like at any any moment. Okay, Regardless of whether or not the Bank of Japan actually was lift, you know, about to lift rates or actually did lift rates, the market price is the market price. That's what you have to pay. Okay, 
But at the end of the day, we're still talking just, what, less than 100 basis points to borrow for like a decade or two out to borrow. Hundreds of basis points lower than if issued in the United States. So, um, so 22. Let's go to the year of 2022, okay? Now, as we know, Japan, always reliably and almost unconditionally a net buyer. But in 2022, that unconditional net buyer not only stopped becoming a net buyer, but turned into a massive seller of foreign bonds in 2022, unloading a record 20 trillion yen of foreign bonds for the year. And that's largely due to currency hedging costs getting astronomically high because of a very inverted yield curve in the United States, such that nominal yield spreads would be completely wiped out after the cost of hedging is factored in. So if there's like a 3% or 4% yield differential between 10-year JGBs and 10-year U.S. Treasuries, if you want to FX hedge that, that might cost you, you know, 3 to 4% and therefore wipe out the entire nominal yield spread premium and therefore make it either completely pointless or if not cost you more just to put that position on. Now, note that in the back half of 2022, okay, as these as these Japanese investors of all kinds, you know, be it insurance companies, pensions, you know, asset managers, whatever, they were unloading all these bonds, um, but they were what they were unloading, what they were selling were by and large sovereign bonds, okay, U.S. Treasuries and European sovereigns, French OETs or, you know, German Boons and so on, right, but. They were actually, at the same time, net buyers of investment-grade corporate debt while they were selling sovereign debt, okay? And they were buying corporate debt on a net basis being being buyers and doing so FX unhedged in many cases, you know? It wasn't like a massive net buy, but it was a net buy nonetheless instead of a net sell of corporate investment-grade bonds. And... That also meant that new bond issuance was also kind of picking up and quickly. All right. So keep that in mind as well. Not too long after that, after the new year, okay, of this year, Japanese investors actually turned back to becoming net buyers of foreign bonds again and in size and at a very rapid pace. Okay. This is despite the prevailing narrative post-December 2022 yield curve control shock, that, that shock hike that the Japanese investors would pull funds out of foreign bond holdings and repatriate back home. And as I've always said, that selling off of the foreign fixed income holdings, that happened, like, by and large already throughout 2022. Like, where in the hell have you been? I don't understand why people will say this. We're, we're saying this at that time. Like... The risk is that they're going to, you know, where there's going to be a bloodbath in bond markets. Did you not, were you not around for the past 12 months of 2022? All right. But in 2023, basically after the the January Bank of Japan meeting, even though FX hedging costs remained extremely high, many buyers went long foreign debt unhedged. And as this demand for foreign bonds reignited in 2023, foreign bond issuers also rushed into Japan to issue yen-denominated debt, for which they were met with healthy demand, right? Japan investors could get foreign bond exposure without having to worry about FX hedging at all or worry about FX period at all, 
right? So it was a f like a fantastic sort of marriage. Um, and credit spreads actually started to pull back, or rather stopped surging higher. Such as people like Warren Buffett, who was back in Tokyo, physically in Tokyo this time, visiting Tokyo, to roll existing yen debt that was maturing that he had already taken out previously, but also to issue even more yen bonds, even though at higher rates, to fund more buying of Japan trading house stocks. Okay, Berkshire Hathaway raised a total of 164 billion yen through five tranches in April of this year um, in yen-denominated bonds. And look, it wasn't just Berkshire Hathaway. It's PayPal, and it's like EU financials, and it's even sovereigns, like ESG-labeled samurai bonds. The only different cohort amongst the Japan investors are the major Japan life insurance companies, um, the, nine, the nine major ones. They were actually sellers of about $1.5 trillion in overseas bonds for the first half of 2023. Um, as they had been guiding for buying $2 trillion in long-dated 30-year and 40-year JGBs for this fiscal year. But even including the Japan life insurance companies who net sold 1.5 trillion yen in overseas bonds in the first half, foreign issuers of yen bonds sold 1.5 trillion in yen-denominated bonds so far this year. Okay, so we're already at 2018 levels as is so that's what's been happening okay now all of this has been fact and reality so far okay here's where that ends and where conspiracy theory and wild blindfolded dart throwing speculation begins okay so first of all what does this all have to do with fitch downgrading the united states debt so here's a thought to perhaps consider okay major airball of a guess as it may be fitch downgrades u.s debt in order to be rosy on japan credit upon the boj move in order to craft a sort of net favorable image in order to grab as much of the credit rating market share of the booming yen denominated global bond issuance underway as possible Okay, I know that sounded like a lot, if not a lot of nonsense. So let me first and foremost say, I know absolutely nothing about credit, credit rating agencies, about bond underwriting, about bond issuance, anything even remotely close to the, that industry. In other words, I'm, I very well may be missing a giant piece of the standard puzzle right in front of me and not even realize. So just keep that in mind, okay? You're listening to someone who has no idea what they're talking about, all right? So, that said, let me explain what I have no idea what I'm talking about. First, what's Fitch in the business of? How does Fitch make its, make its money? What are their incentives? Fitch is a credit, credit rating agency, and unlike its two peer competitors, S&P Global and Moody's, um, who have other lines of businesses and revenue streams, Fitch Ratings is primarily a ratings agency as a primary function. Okay, It is the smallest and the least significant of the so-called big three or might as well be called big two and a half or might as well just be called the big two and fitch so fitch like they earn fees by rating credit and you know bonds and stamping paper with a credit rating okay 
Here's a here's directly from Fitch's fine print on, on one of its ratings. Quote, Fitch receives fees from issuers, insurers, guarantors, other obligors, and underwriters for rating securities. Such fees generally vary from USD $1,000 to USD $750,000 or the apical currency equivalent per issue. In certain cases, Fitch will rate all or a number of issues issued by a particular issuer for a single annual fee such fees are expected to vary from ten thousand dollars to 1.5 million dollars that's the business model okay the issuer the sell side is the credit rating agency's customer not the investor or the consumer of fitch's credit research analysis behind the the rating okay now let's just look at the current setup Big picture in Japan and the potential opportunity for Fitch's standpoint, or for anyone for that matter. Japan households currently hold 2 quadrillion yen in financial assets. 2 quadrillion yen is 2,000 trillion yen, or $14 trillion in financial assets. Half of which, or over half of which, is in cash. Hence the decades of deflation. That's the cash-rich, yield-starved fixed income ocean that if, you know, seriously deployed out there, can make a serious tsunami in global markets. I mean, Japan already does make waves in markets as is, but they're really just barely invested. Huge disproportionate amount of these assets belong to those who are aging and elderly, and thus these assets, these financial assets, and essentially this cash is very conservative, i.e. fixed income seekers in a land of little yield. So what they want is safety and yield. Now, JGBs yield nothing, and so they investors don't hold much JGBs, and they increasingly don't deem it as the safest of instruments for like long-term risk-adjusted investment, and rightly, they shouldn't. Same goes for Japan corporates. Not that, you know, Toyota or Sony will default or anything like that, but they barely pay a coupon over JGBs either, okay? But a yen-denominated Berkshire Hathaway bond that yields like 2 or 3x the JGB with no currency risk? Yeah, that sounds good, right? So, during this most recent debt ceiling showdown, although most of us, you know, most, most in the U.S., myself included, I'm not in the U.S., but we largely brushed this off as like a partisan clown show, you know, it's just that. It's just another one of these things. It's going to reach a deal at the 11th hour as per usual and all that. And that's what happened, right? However, Japan investors, they were a bit less casual about their U.S. Treasury holdings this time. Because this time actually did seem different on two main fronts. One was on, you know, whether or not Kevin McCarthy had any actual power. Uh, and also remembering what happened in 2011 and the market mayhem that caused actual material losses, right? And volatility. So there was actual worry and I don't blame them. They're, you know, they hold over trillion dollars of, of us treasuries. Um, and they're it's completely out of their control of like this clown show going on in DC. So the way that I look at this is Fitch's downgrade on the U S what that does is it gives Fitch these optics of being a trustworthy foreign credit rating agency 
you know, if not a trustworthy American credit rating agency, such that Fitch is willing to downgrade the United States government. If they're willing to do that, then surely they downgrade or rate any corporate with the same ruthless objectivity. But Fitch, as we said, does not get paid by the investor. They get paid by the issuer. Now that said, having the faith of the investor base can only help with getting rated by Fitch, especially if you're a corporate like Berkshire Hathaway with zero credit self-consciousness. You know you'll be rated investment grade anyway, regardless of who you who rates your paper. So all else equal, just having the quote trustworthy of like the Fitch stamp, if that can lower your credit costs by the Japanese domestic base by a little bit, I mean it could only help. But still, again, investors don't pay Fitch. They don't matter to the equation. Okay, Fitch gets paid by the issuer, and given that Fitch does not have like any real presence as it is. In Japan, so they're kind of a blank sheet, and that they haven't yet pissed off any of those that they'd have to work with the, the you know the big five domestic underwriters. Then, how do you gain credibility amongst this domestic system and domestic investor investor base by being a ruthlessly objective and trustworthy rating agency? And simultaneously went over ratings market share from foreign corporate issuers well you could do this you downgrade the united states debt and then you jump out in front and you voice calm about japan credit risk in the face of sudden shock out of the bank of japan who just increased borrowing costs which will likely only rise going forward right so why did fitch downgrade the u.s and why now because it's immaterial to everyone, to the U.S. itself, to holders of U.S. debt, to U.S. corporates, to even, you know, even immaterial to Fitch itself. There's no downside. They know that they're like the black sheep of these so-called big three or whatever. But what it does therefore allow for is you to then, you know, grab ratings business in the only fast-growing area of corporate issuance, in yen-denominated foreign corporate issuance that is apparently booming right now by sooth saying all everything is fine there's no credit risk to boj um you know rate policy and all of that and looking tough at the same time um to the japan domestics so that's kind of my take of it i don't see why else fitch would do this and do this now i don't see what's in it for them to do it at all and I don't see what's in it for them to start to also talk openly about the Bank of Japan policy unsolicited either. Unless, perhaps because they're a you know, capitalist organization in search of money <laughs> and revenue, and they clearly see opportunity as per their research and all of that that they keep publishing, and they're very bullish of the area. Okay, so why now? Because the Bank of Japan just increased interest rates in the middle of this booming yen-denominated bond issuance boom that's happening in Japan. And so they had seen an opportunity or a need to just calm everything down and be the cool head. And in order for them to do that, they had to do something that would get headlines to look at one direction and the those eyeballs that matter, people who are trying to issue debt 
to look at this other one that went largely unnoticed, uh, Japan Monetary Policy. And so that's what I believe that they did it. Why they did it, when they did it is the most important thing. Okay? So the Bank of Japan is what triggered Fitch to downgrade the U.S. debt when they did it. So that's just my view. Wacky as it may seem. Probably think I'm insane. But regardless of whether or not you think I'm insane, first of all, seriously, if this did jog something in your head or spark something in your head that has nothing to do with anything, but nonetheless got something, you know, got you thinking about something else and then it led to something very productive, then great. I'm very happy. I felt, I feel accomplished. Otherwise, I hope you are now familiar and aware of the issuance that is going on right now and what that sudden Bank of Japan shock change has done to this market. There's been a lot of issuance in JPY bonds and as the last bastion of QE, and then they just got lifted. So let's see if that puts a either hard break on it or if that's going to maybe even cause even more of a rush in if they believe that this is a cycle that they need to get on board immediately for. Okay? All right, that's it for me. Thank you for listening to my nonsense. On behalf of Blockworkers Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. We will see you again soon. Thank you.